me out to the ball game. Take me out with the crowd. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Green Grass and White Bases podcast. We're really excited to have the owner of the baseball warehouse, Rocky Scout, former University of Tampa, Ramapo College baseball player, former Rutgers coach. I mean, the baseball resume is, is one of the most impressive we've seen. Um, coach Mike Garlotti here with us on the podcast today. So, Coach, I can't thank you enough for taking the time to jump on here with me, even with your busy schedule. No problem, Eric. I'm glad to be here. Love to do it. Yeah, thanks. Thanks. So, I mean, I want to jump right into it. Everybody around here really knows you as that the head honcho here at the Baseball Warehouse. So looking into your resume a little bit um, this morning and last night preparing for the episode, I see that Highland Park High School, University of Tampa, and then Ramapo College. So talk about your playing career, kind of the side of things people don't might not have the insight into around here. Um, well, as a, as, a, as a baseball player here at Highland Park, um, I, I fell in love with the game probably when I was about eight years old and, and never stopped playing it until uh, I think Fred Hill over at Rutgers told me I wasn't good enough to play anymore. <laughs> I should start coaching. So, um, But I, I, I think if I was going to give a scouting report on myself, I was a catch-and-throw catcher who could not hit, um, didn't have a lot of power, didn't have a... a just never figured out the bat. I was a switch hitter. I started switch hitting, I think maybe it was my sophomore or junior year in high school. Natural right-handed and started hitting left-handed then. But um, it, it came a lot easier to catch and throw than it did to hit in the games. And, um, and eventually that kind of ran out for me and uh, led to a, a coaching career. So then... Going going forward to your to your college career, how did that how did that put one thing into another? Or did I get the wrong idea reading your reading no, the scouting report? No, you got it. So so I started out at the University of Tampa. I got a chance to go down there and actually played and uh, with a lot of great people. And and my head coach at the time was Brian Sabian, who went on to be a, a I think a three time World Series champion general manager for the San Francisco wow. Giants. So got a chance to play for him, and uh, the schoolwork uh, didn't really pan out the way it should. And I always use that as my lessons, uh, life lessons with the kids here at the warehouse. So I uh, ended up coming back home. I uh, played briefly at university. I mean, I'm sorry, played briefly at Middlesex County College for one semester. Got my grades up and uh, attended the uh, Ramapo College. Ramapo College was just coming off a World Series national championship, actually. Went in there, played there for two years. Um, said, like I said before, wasn't good enough to kind of keep playing. Um, so I jumped right into coaching. Spent a year um, coaching at Ramapo and then went on to coach at Rutgers University. So talk about that relationship with coach hill because you say right away like in in high school he's telling you listen this might not this playing thing might not be the path for you and then he gives you an opportunity to jump into coaching like that How, what was that dynamic like well after um i first met coach hill would i guess that would be 1984 85 he was just getting his feet wet here at rutgers university and um he recruited me a little bit um i wasn't good enough to go there so i went on to ramapo college and I stayed in touch with him, worked some baseball camps with him and those kind of things. And um, when I was done playing at Ramapo, I was working for coach uh, summer camps. And um, he asked me for some kind of assignment. And I was like, well, I can't do it. I got a summer league game. I was playing men's league baseball. Right. 
And he said, Mike, you're going to have to make a choice. Either you want to be a baseball coach or you want to try to continue to play. And I kind of knew at that time. So now that fast forward, that would probably be 1988, 89. And it was time for me to make a choice. And having made that choice, like when you look back at it now, how, how thankful are you or what maybe things do you think about playing wise that you wish you could have still done? You know, I, I am so thankful for Coach Hill. He, he, is, um, he was my mentor. Um, he's since passed, and I still think about him and the things that he taught me over the years. Um, I'm grateful that he was honest with me, and that's probably one of the, I'd like to say, one of my strong suits of trying to be honest with people when they ask for, um, you know, my opinion. I try to give them my honest opinion, and then that's kind of what I get paid for uh, with the Colorado Rockies. And um, he was honest with me. It helped me uh, fast start my career as a coach, and which led to scouting. So uh, I'm forever grateful for uh, his honesty. Yeah, I mean, Coach Hill is a guy that, even in my life, like growing up running around that Rutgers dugout was, was something really special to me. And I think from my perspective, I'm sure you knew Coach Hill way better than I did back in the day just because I was a little guy growing up. But that's that's the kind of guy he was, where he was, he kind of embodied – New Jersey Northeast baseball, where it was like, like you're saying, we have to be really honest with ourselves and we have to have that grit and we have to have that determination to make sure we're going, we're, everybody's pulling in the right direction and we're all getting where we need to go. Exactly. And, and Eric, you, you were blessed to be around it. You didn't know you were around it at that time with Coach Hill. And I'm sure you look back and understand it. But, you know, you've been blessed just like I have around being around a lot of good baseball people. And, um, you know, baseball is obviously a huge part in both of our lives, but um, Coach Hill taught a lot of life lessons, and um, he was a great man as well as a great baseball coach. So it was a, it was an easy guy to kind of look up to and, and to uh, mentor from. Yeah, I, there's no doubt about it, having somebody like that to, to look up to at the beginning of your career and even on the tail end of your career as a player trying to keep yourself in baseball. So talk about that transition then from you know how long did you spend at Rutgers as a coach and then what led to you jumping on board with the Rockies so I was at Rutgers for three and a half seasons um, prior to that I had worked a bunch of baseball camps with coach Hill and done a lot of different things so I was I was able to learn from the best the best guy around and um, you know the the lessons that I learned not only coaching um, but recruiting and how to handle parents and how to handle players are all things that I still use today. And, and um, we had some great teams with some really good players. And I got a chance to do a lot of recruiting for coach and evaluating. And then the Rockies came calling one day. They were a brand new organization. And um, I probably was the Rockies' third choice. I think Fred Hill and Ed Blankmeyer were, were choices one and two, but they were entrenched in their coaching careers they were a little bit older and getting in a car and driving hours and chasing guys around and, and, and the life of a, of a scout wasn't for them at that time. So I was able to get that opportunity to, uh, to jump on with the Rockies. It's awesome how like organically that can work out with a new organization like that. And both Coach Hill and Coach Blankmeyer, I think no one's going to say they made, the, they made the wrong decision there. But it's awesome to see, even from my perspective now, that's kind of the route I'm taking. And I'm in the midst of that where it's like what opportunities are going to open up and how does that play itself out. So to see how, you know, maybe one door closes for those guys and that opens up a door for you, it, 
it gives me a little bit of inspiration and a little bit of promise in my in, in this position I'm in in my young coaching career. There's no doubt about it. And, and I, I think being surrounded around good people is really important. And, and at Rutgers University, we had some really good people. I, I started out my first year there in 1989 in the fall, and I was the JV coach. At that time, we had a B team, a JV team. And uh, my first job was, was that coach. And I got to run that team for the fall. And then that winter, um, one of the other assistant coaches got a head job, had an opportunity to leave Rutgers to become a head coach at a division, I think at Montclair State, if I remember right. And um, I instantly got promoted to the assistant varsity coach in charge of recruiting and working with the catchers. And so in a, in a half a year, I got a promotion, not so much earned, but uh, by default. And I was kind of thrown into the recruiting process and, um, and working with the, with the varsity team. And, and it just took off from there. So how similar, dissimilar is that recruiting process at the college level to what you're doing now with the Rockies scouting guys and trying to get them to come play for you at the major league level? I think it's very, very similar, and, and it's starting to come full circle. But recruiting is a little different than scouting. When we recruit, we're trying to sell a product, and we're trying to sell our university and why, why players should come to Rutgers or whatever X university it might be. As a, scouting, uh, as a scout, we're not trying to recruit these guys. We're going to evaluate them. We think that Major League Baseball and professional baseball kind of sells itself, um, and they have to be good, good enough for us. So we, we, it's the same kind of uh, situation. I think you up the ante. Um, we're scouting for big leaguers, guys who are going to be big leaguers down the road, as opposed to trying to find somebody who might be a good Division One player down right. the road. So timeline-wise, too, in that regard, I know a lot of guys these days will say at the college level, I'm recruiting guys that can come make an impact on my team right now. So then how do you make that projection as a, as a big league scout? How do you make that projection of a kid, maybe he's 18 years old coming out of high school, maybe he's 22 years old coming out of college, and you see him get into the big leagues in two, three, four years? How do you, what's kind of like your guideline on mapping that out and saying this is where I see this kid four or five years from now? Well, there's, there's so much that goes into it, E, but, you know, we're looking for the five tools and, and we, do a, we, we have to do a lot of homework on our players and we have to build history. So a lot of these players that we're out watching now that may be juniors in college, we've watched for several years and, and we've gotten to know them and we've gotten to see the progress and, and where they're going with their abilities, where they're going with their uh, bodies, where they're going with their maturity. So we're able to do that. Um, with the high school kid, boy, you got to look in that, uh, you know, you really have to dream at the 17 or 18-year-old kid to see if they're both physically mature enough, mentally mature enough to go out and play professional baseball. So that's the harder guy for us to scout. And when we don't have as much history with those kids. Right, right. So talk about then like a place like this. So when you're coming up through high school, even when you're at the front end of your coaching career, how much did places like this or travel teams like this exist? And then what kind of transition have you seen to where we are today, where this has become huge at the amateur level? So we didn't have anything like this at all, you know, back when I was coming through high school. Um, and there were very few of them, um, even when I was coaching at Rutgers University. 
Um, and so this has now made our players across the country and New Jersey better players. They are now getting professional um, instruction. Um, they are training like high-end college players, and they're training like professionals. And, they're, and they have exploded all across the country, and it's made our players um, advance better. It's made them more prepared for the next level, whether that's professional baseball or college baseball. It has given those guys. But it's only a part of it. They still have to take what they learned here and what they do here and now take that out to the field with them. 100%. Yeah, I think that's something that even in a, in a lesson format or whatever that we'll stress to these guys all the time is what you do in a lesson, what you do in your lift, in your hitting program, whatever, is just part of the development. And then ultimately your job on the field is to go win games. Yes. So talk, talk about that too. Like how much does that compete factor and the heart or whatever, you know, variable you want to tab it, how much emphasis do you have on that when you're scouting a guy compared to, you know, the five tools and the X's and O's and his physical ability? Great, great question. I mean, the five tools are no doubt. You have to be talented to get drafted. And you have to be, you have to have that mature uh, level, both mentally and physically, to get drafted. But the separators, and the separator that we use, especially with the Rockies, is an opportunity to meet these kids and find out what they're made of. Do they have that grit? Do they have that, can they handle failure? Can they handle success? Um, and, and can they handle being away from home? Can, there's a lot of variables to go in there. And, and that's part of my job. People ask me all the time, is this a full-time job scouting? Yes, it's a full-time job because for three or four months out of the year, we're spending an awful lot of time trying to, to find out what's inside the package. And we have to use a lot of different avenues to get there, whether it's high school coach, whether it's summer coach, whether it's the guy he trains with, whether it's the guy he does lessons with, um, we have to, you know, whether it's opposing coaches, we have to use every avenue we can to learn about our players that we're scouting. And then how does that process continue? Like you're gearing up for spring training right now and you're talking about it being a full-time job. You're away from home for all this part of the year. How does how do you stay on a guy once he's in your organization? You've scouted him through his amateur level. He's playing pro ball with you now. How, like, what does your job look like when you go down to spring training and you're evaluating these prospects that you're trying to get to the big leagues? So my spring training is a little bit different than, than um, you know, the common guy. My spring training or my scouting season is going to start tomorrow. Or I will get on a plane tomorrow and head south to watch the college and high school kids from our area as they play. So I'll be down there watching, um, you know, University of Maryland, watching Rutgers, watching Maine, watching UConn, and those teams as they play um, in the warmer states. Right. And then once the weather breaks up here, you know, early, mid-March, then I'll start making my way back here and, and start following everybody that goes on here. The high school season doesn't, the regular season doesn't start till April. Um, you know, they start some scrimmages in March. So I have some time before I start hitting the high school kids. So my main focus is the college players at this time. Right. So and then too, you you land those college players and they end up in your organization. Is it somebody else's job then to get them prepared and follow them on their way, hopefully to the big leagues? What kind of role do you have once they get through that threshold? So so once I sign a player, um, 
I do a, I do, I try to do a good job of staying in touch with my players and checking up on them. I'll go around and visit with them once or twice in the winter time. Maybe watch them work out, have lunch or dinner with them to make sure their bodies are in shape. But once you sign a player, you kind of pass them off to our PD, our player development crew, right. and then it's their, it's their responsibility to kind of keep an eye on those guys to make sure they're doing what they do. Um, me, because of the relationships I have with the players that I've drafted and signed, I'll stay in touch with those guys throughout the year. Even when they're playing in the season, in the minor league season, I'll call and check up on them. I'll, you know, with social media and, and with computers, you, you can watch a minor league game, you know, and follow up and see how they're doing. So then talk about the Rockies organization. Like how much, how much does that organization mean to you as an individual? And then how, how successful, how, like what, what do you have to say about the organization and going from the scouting to the player development to the big league level and the operation you guys run? So the Rocky, I, I've been with the Rockies, and I've been blessed to be with a with a wonderful team that uh, a great ownership group, and um, you know I, I always say it every day. I'm thankful for the guys I work for, and I'm thankful for the guys I work with. Um, I work with a great bunch of you know our scouting department is a great bunch of people, um, but I've been with them for 32 years. Um, I think that says a lot on on um, how they've treated me and my family. Um, but we're a scouting and development organization. We don't have the um, we don't have the income. We don't make as much. We're not the Yankees. We're not the Dodgers. We're not those kind of teams. So we have to draft and develop, and and our energy, most of our energy goes into drafting and development. And we're proud of the guys that we've signed and that have gotten to the big leagues. And it's extremely important that we not only get good players but good people, so we can keep them in our organization for a long time. For sure. And I think that's cool to think about like the culture of an organization like that, where it's like, listen, we all know who the who the big spenders are at the big league level. And to say, we got we to gotta work a little bit harder than these guys to get to that level of success has to be something that can, can motivate you and your position, everybody in the organization. And then it might be able to light that spark with some guys that you're, that you bring on. Exactly. I mean, it motivates, motivates us and, and myself, and it really challenges us. I mean, we're, we're going up against some, some really big heavy hitters. I mean, the teams in the National League West, like the Dodgers and the Giants, and now the Padres have been one of those big spending clubs. You know, we are who we are, and, and, and we're proud to say we are a draft and, and development organization. So we're, we're going to stick by that. Um, I don't know if that will ever change, but right now that's who we are. So... My opinion's going to count, and, and the guys that I sign, they're going to hold me accountable for those guys making it and not making it. Yeah, and I think, I think just having that message is something that maybe a team, again, I might be talking out of turn here, but maybe a team that is saying, you know, we can, we can hit it hard in the free agency market and we can keep big leaguers filtering in in our roster, you know, might not have that piece. And I always think, coming from the level I've been on that, having, having a little something extra in the gas tank to kind of push you forward is always valuable. Yes, and, and there, there is one elephant in the room a little bit. Uh, we're challenged uh, by playing at altitude, right. and Coors Field is, is a challenge. It's one of the most unique places in all of baseball to play at, and we're there for 80 games a year, right. so or 81 games a year, and it's very challenging. So... Um, Analytics certainly plays a part in, in what we do, but um, we're big on, on what the scout sees and, and what he feels 
Um, not so much gut, but what our eyes tell us. And um, we, have to, we have to live with that. It's just a fact of dealing with altitude and the player development and the scouting part of it. That's our organization. I'm glad you brought that up because I was going to, I was watching Moneyball recently, as funny as that is, and that whole movie is about how analytics are going to, are going to take away the job that you have that's been so valuable for so long in our game. So talk about the, the mixture and the combination of the analytics that you're talking about, especially playing at altitude there in Colorado, and then putting that together with going out and seeing a guy and making sure he passes the eye test. I mean, every team does it different. And, and some teams rely on analytics way, way, way more than we do. Um, I'd like to, um, to say we still believe in our scouts. We still believe in what we see. And we use analytics as a part to hopefully maybe back up what we see or, uh, or maybe help us you know, clarify some things. Um, we're still building data. We've only been in, um, in Coors Field for 30 years. This is the start of our 30th season. So we're still building data, what playing at altitude is and, and what exactly works there and doesn't work there. And um, it changes at times. You know, we, we, we used the humidor at one point and um, we thought well, that put some things in perspective for us. And um, we've changed some of the dimensions. So it's ever changing. But certainly um, every organization now, it's a fact of life, use, right. uses analytics. Um, and, and, and it's come a long way, whether it's Rapsodo or TrackMan or Hit Tracks. Um, I think we use anal- I, I think baseball uses analytics more for the fans right. at times than they do for every organization, but it's certainly a part of it. Um, is it a huge part? No, but it's a part of our, our evaluation process. Right. I think that's good to hear because, I, like, to me, the more tools you have in your toolbox, the better off you're going to be. So if you're adding one to take away another, I don't know if there's really a net gain there talking about, you know, going to see a guy play compared to just looking at his numbers on the stat sheet. And then, yeah, I, I think that's a perspective, too, that I never thought about. It's really cool to watch a game and see launch angle and exit velo and how far this ball went. But when it comes down to what a guy's capable of, right, how much can we really measure based on a couple of balls that he's hit throughout the course of the season? Exactly. And, 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 and again, the data, we, we only have so much data. We can only um, accumulate so much data on a high school kid. Right. That makes it a little bit harder. Obviously, the college player that – that's 21 years old that plays three years at a Division One or a Division Two or three program week and, and summer baseball, we can accumulate a lot more data. So those guys, you know, the college kid makes it a little bit easier for us to evaluate. They're a little bit more mature physically and mentally. Um, but again, I would emphasize that that is only a part of it. Right. No Analytics. doubt. While we're on the, the topic of scouting, who are some of the guys that have stood out to you that you've been able to scout, whether they've ended up with the Rockies or maybe they're guys that you just missed on? What are, who are some of the guys that stand out throughout your career? There's a bunch of good ones. Um, you know, Mike Trout comes to mind, but uh, I'd be the first one to admit I, I didn't know Mike Trout was going to end up being the best player in, in all of baseball or headed towards such a Hall of Fame career or whatever. I mean, everybody liked Mike Trout, and he was a really good baseball player. But we all had our common, you know, questions and wondered where, you know, he'd end up. Um, Darren Erstad, who played in the big leagues, he was a kid out of Nebraska. Um, I've been fortunate enough to go up to the Cape Cod League um, just about every year I've been scouting. And that's where I get a chance to evaluate a bunch of players from all over the country. 
Um, Rick Porcello stands out as one of the top high school guys I ever went out and saw. And he was a Jersey kid from Seton yep. Hall Prep. Um, and that same year, uh, you know, Matt Harvey was yeah. was pitching there. And, and, and Matt didn't sign out of high school, and, and, and uh, Rick did. And they kind of went two different careers, two different career paths. You know, Rick just retired, I think, this year or last year, and, and Matt's struggling around trying to find a job. Yep. So it's funny um, how guys take two different career paths. Yeah, there's no doubt. I think, you know, as a Mets fan, Matt Harvey was awesome to watch in the prime of his career. And then even here, talking Rick Porcello, Joe will tell a story about how he was at some showcase with Rick Porcello, and they were warming up down the right field line, and he asked Rick how hard he throws, and he goes, oh, I'm up to 96. Yeah. And Joe at that point is 23, trying to piece it together, coming out of Kane, and Rick is his 17-, 18-year-old high school kid, and Joe said the first throw he made, he was like, oh, he wasn't. Rick wasn't lying when he said I'm up to 96 so yeah. it's crazy how as big as the baseball world is it's still everybody's really connected and it gets smaller and smaller every day it feels like there's no doubt about it we are we are connected and 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 that's that's what this game does to you it connects you yeah going off that connection piece with with as busy as you are going around you know scouting and jumping jumping out of coaching getting into scouting you spend all this time around the country trying to pick up these high school college players. You know, last year at the Baseball Warehouse celebrated our 20th anniversary. So what is what has this place meant to you? And then, you know, at, at the early point in your career 20 years ago, how what motivated you to open up this place? So um, that's a great question. And, and um, I've been blessed. Uh, I started doing lessons at a young age for a couple local high school coaches here in Middlesex County who had some really, really good players. And they, they, they were guys who, who needed some instruction or, or, or just needed to, wanted to stay in shape and get better over the winter. So when I was coaching at Rutgers University, I started doing lessons then. And then after I left Rutgers and got into scouting, I wanted to continue. I loved coaching, but scouting took me off the field. So I had an opportunity to open up this baseball warehouse. Um, it was an idea of mine. It was very small. I've been truly, truly blessed to have um, some really good people work for me, baseball people. Um, it started with Keith Connolly and Ryan Lillis uh, back in the day, and then it leaded to uh, Mark Sauer and Mark Blevins, who kind of ran the place for me for a few years. And then um, Joe Augustine then took over, and um, he's kind of taken it to another, another level. And then I'm blessed to have somebody like yourself, Eric, I've had some great young coaches who've been around a lot of good people. And I think the number one thing I've done correctly here is hire the right people. Um, Alejandro Diaz and some of the other guys who've played in our organization and now still love the game and want to give back are, are coaching. Um, so it's been really good. We started out small and Joe's taken it to another level. And this, this place now is, is beyond my dreams. I never thought it would be this big. I never thought, uh, I'm not sure I thought I'd still be in business 20 years later <laughs> or whatever. And, and then with the way the teams have grown and to see um, the talent come through here, it's been, it's been humbling, but it's also something I'm extremely proud of. 
Yeah, I mean, it this this place, the amount of people that I'm sure this place has meant so much to is really cool. And I, I appreciate your kind words. And it's awesome. Like, I'm super thankful to you to just, like, have a place like this to grow up in and to work out in and, you know, give myself on the field opportunities and then to be able to come back and coach is something that I'm really thankful for. So, Well, you know, it's funny about it. It would have never worked 30 years ago. Right. 40 years ago. This place, the, the parents wouldn't be you know, wanting to uh, spend money on their kids to go hit indoors or, or lift weights or whatever. And um, it, it's come full circle with, with big leaguers. So, I mean, the, to have four big leaguers come out of here in 20 years is amazing. And, and there are guys that, that still come around. Um, you know, Brandon Belak is obviously a mainstay here, and he's always willing to give back and be around our players. Uh, Nick Dini has spent some time here in the offseason. Kevin Mulvey is now coaching at Villanova. And then Eric Young Jr. obviously was a guy that I was lucky enough to, to draft and sign. And he ultimately made the big league. So we, we've had some great kids come through here. And we've had some kids who've not only been successful in baseball, but successful in real life. Yeah, it's awesome. Like a lot of cool, a lot of awesome people from the coaching side, a lot of awesome players, a lot of awesome kids doing a bunch of really cool stuff, whether it's on the field, off the field post-playing career, all that stuff. And I think it even goes back to the connection piece about the, the small world of baseball that we're talking about, where you're going through those names that started this place. Ryan Lillis was my high school coach, and then I came in here and did lessons with Coach Blevins on the hitting side and with Joe on the pitching side when I was coming up and now getting to work side-by-side side with those guys. It's awesome to see how the lineage of this place is so so intertwined and just a connected community. So in that same regard, I'm glad you brought up that, like, you know, you never thought it would have gotten this big. Like when you're when you're jumping into it and you have the idea to start the baseball warehouse, what was your vision for the place? And then talk about that transition from you're saying 30 years ago, it might not have worked this way. How has the game changed to where nowadays we can have a have a successful place like this where guys can develop the way they do? I, I mean, it's obviously uh, the, the main reason we did it was to, to make players better. Right. To try to instruct and help players to get them better. The envision wasn't to say, okay, we're going to bring 100 kids through here one summer or one, one uh, winter and think we were going to have a big leaguer. Right. It was never a thought of mine at all. It was really just to help kids get better. Whatever level they, we could get them to, we would. Some of them varsity players, some of them drafted, and then some of them just to make a team, maybe make the JV team. Some of them to have an opportunity or place for them to go to feel feel good about themselves, to gain some confidence and those kind of things. Um, and, and it has just continued to grow. I mean, the weight program that Joe has put in place um, has, has made us grow by leaps and bounds right. and made the players grow by leaps and bounds. And, and I still say this today when a parent comes in here and, and they'll ask me questions about our place, I can guarantee them two things or two or three things. One, we're going to work with your kid. Number two, we're going to be real honest with them. We're, we're going to give them feedback, both positive and, and tell them what they're doing right and what they're doing wrong. And number two, number three usually is we're going to make them better. What level of better it is, right. I don't know. That's going, to be, you know. that's going to be determined down the road. But we're going to make them better. It might make the freshman kid make the JV team. It might make the JV kid make the varsity team. But we're going to make them better. And I think part of that, too, is – like the community aspect. I think more, you know, in today's terms, a lot of these teams will be, you sign up, we'll give you a jersey, and then we go play in these tournaments. And I think what's been really cool for me, especially coming on this side of the of the lines now, is to see 
just how close our guys are with each other and how, you know, making each other better. Sure, we all want to be better ball players, but I think it, it makes our guys better individuals. It makes our guys better people, too. Well, coaches like yourself and Hondo and Joe um, and the rest of our staff working with the teams, we have a culture here. And if you don't fit our culture, and the, the culture is a growth mindset, wanting to get better, coming here with the idea you're going to get better, and we treat most of the we try to treat everybody the same. Yeah. Whether it's your number 16 on the team or your number one on the team, whether you're a varsity guy or you're on our 2026 team, we're going to coach them and teach them the same way. And um, that culture is all part of what makes things work here. And the other thing is we, we, we got good kids and we got good parents. Yep. It's not going to work without parents trusting their kids with us. So they bring them in here and they put them on our teams and, and they want to do lessons with you or Joe or Hondo. They have to trust what we're teaching them is the right thing. And for the most part, they do. And the ones that don't trust what we're doing, they they probably don't last here that long. Yeah, yeah, and I think that's part that's part of the game, right? Like at, at a certain point, again, to go back to Moneyball, right, that big Brad Pitt quote is sooner or later someone's going to tell you you got to hang up the cleats. Who knows if that's when you're 12 or when you're 42, right? Yeah. But that's, you know, that's part of the game that as much as we can be excited about potential and everything, that's, that you know, we're trying to get guys better, and you got to have a realistic look in the mirror to see, you know, where am I at? Where am I trying to get to? How am I going to get there? And to have a facility like this that's going to help you bridge that gap from where you are to where you want to be is something that's really cool. That's that's a great word. And, and we spend a lot of time on the, the complete player. We make sure they dress the right way. They show up on time. We hold them accountable. If they leave their gear and things like that, yep. we, we hold them accountable. We're, we're going to make them a well-rounded player. We try to spend some time with them giving back to the community and doing some stuff where our players do get involved with buddy ball. They, they get involved with our autism awareness tournament. So they understand part of that, those kind of concepts too. So it, it's, it's not just baseball in here. Um, we hopefully we're developing uh, good young men. Uh, we're developing work ethic that's going to carry over. And, and, and we want to make sure they're good students, that they can go on, whether it's to play in college or to go to college. Um, we don't stop working with our kids here. We, this Christmas break, we had, I, I think, 15 to 20 ex-players of ours come back that are now playing in college, come back to work out here. And um, when they come here, they don't just do their own thing. they got to do it the way we, you know, they got to come in here and they're held accountable for doing it the right way. Absolutely. I think that culture is something that's really important and something that's awesome to, to see and to be a part of. And in in that conversation about culture, I mean, you got your Teamwork Unlimited Foundation hat on today. That that program that you have set up with Thomas and Michael and your wife, Trish, how much has that, that program and that foundation meant to you? Well, I appreciate giving me an opportunity to talk about that. I didn't know we were going to, but I, teamwork is... Um, I think it's important for kids to understand how lucky they are. I have a son, Thomas, who isn't able to play baseball and isn't able to, to do a lot of the things that these kids get the chance to do, whether it's here or, you know, at their high schools or, or wherever they, you know, wherever they're from, they get a chance to do something. So it, it's been humbling um, for our kids to get involved in it. Um, our Autism Awareness Challenge Tournament has a bunch of our local teams, a bunch of our coaches that work here at the warehouse are part of it. Um, Coach Blevins and Coach Jack Howe and their teams 
um, and a bunch of other ones that I apologize I might be forgetting are all part of it. So it, it's important for our guys to keep things in perspective. And I think with our foundation and uh, the Autism Awareness Challenge, I think that help gets that point across to our guys. Yeah, there's no doubt about it. I mean, that Autism Awareness Tournament has grown into something massive throughout the state. Everybody looks forward to it every year. So, I mean, similar to the facility, like when you were when you were starting up Teamwork Unlimited and you were starting this tournament and the challenge with the with the games, did you see it growing to the, the heights it has today? You know, I haven't. And again, um, it's for the people that were around. I mean, and, and two of the lo- two or three local coaches, Vinny Abene from Edison, Mike Lepore has been um, a huge help at South River, Mike Murray, Coach Blevins at North Brunswick. Those guys have embraced it and helped, have helped me push it forward. And then, you know, once we started getting it going, we had the great support of North Brunswick, um, Dave Rosenberg, John Drury, and the Little League group over there um, have been unbelievable supporting by using the fields and, and using their facilities have made it grown. And now we're maxed out. That's it. Three, day, <laughs> three days, 20 games, 40 teams, we're maxed out. And, and, and I guess the only way we were able to grow was to throw softball in the mix. Yep. And um, uh, Brian Morell over there, or Sean Morell over at North Brunswick, the athletic director, has been a great help to help us expand to the softball side. So all we really did, Eric, was combine baseball and autism and use, using baseball and softball as an avenue to get the awareness part out. Yeah, it's so cool to see those students come out and throw the first pitch of every game at the Autism Awareness Challenge. And then the connection that my high school and a bunch of high schools around the county and around the state, I'm sure, I've had with Buddy Ball and getting out there. And I, there's there's no doubt in my mind that it provides that that perspective that you're talking about. And it's just it's been something that's really cool to be on this side of. So that's thankful for you for setting that thing up. And it's awesome to see how it's how it's grown and developed. Thank you, and 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 Joe, you know. Our buddy ball program, um, they do it over at Edison, but St. Joe's, J.P. Stevens, North Brunswick, Edison, uh, softball, baseball, all those teams, St. Thomas Aquinas, they all get involved in it. And uh, a lot of those kids are part of this program here Yep. at the warehouse. Some of those coaches are. And um, it, again, it, it, I guess you would say that's part of our culture. Yeah, there's no doubt about it. It's been cool. It's been really cool to see like how you've been able to put your hands on everything and you've had an impact in places of this game where, you know, looking at it face value, just to say Mike Garlotti is a scout for the Rockies is not doing it justice for, for the resume you've put together. And then in that in that vein, to to a young coach or to someone or a young player or, you know, somebody that's coming through our game now. What's, your, what's the best advice you could give a player from the scouting perspective? What's the best advice you could give a coach from a post-career perspective? Well, when we talk about players, and, and one thing it probably, I, I didn't mention it, passion would be the number one thing. There's nobody around that has more passion than yourself, Eric. I, I see what you do running around coaching at Rutgers Newark and helping here with our teams and doing lessons and doing these podcasts. Passion for the game is what kind of drives everything. And um, that, that would probably be, besides having talent for a player and having exceptional talent, you, not, you need passion would probably be number two and then makeup and desire and all that. But if you don't love this game, you're, it's going to be an awfully hard game to get into. 
You have to love and want to be part of it all the time. Whether it's watching it, whether it's evaluating, whether it's coaching, whether it's teaching, the passion part of it's huge. And that would go for the coaches. Right. You know, we're not, none of us are in this thing for the money. No. I mean, I, I did not get into this. Uh, you know, my first job, I'd be embarrassed to say how much I got paid at Rutgers University and, and had no benefits. And, you know, but that opportunity led to something bigger and better. Um, maybe not better, but led to something bigger um, in professional baseball. And um, so sometimes, uh, you know, you have to pay your dues, um, you know, for the players. Talent, again, getting back to reiterating, talent is number one. That's what we're looking for. And then those other things we use as separators, um, their makeup and their passion for the game, their aptitude, all those kind of things come into play. And then for the coach, the coach, again, passion for, and, and, and it's never ending. I learned from you, Eric. I know you don't believe that, but <laughs> I see what you do, and, and, and I learned from our coaches now. Things, uh, baseball's evolved an awful lot, and I'm learning how to use analytics. I'm learning how to understand it. Um, I'm, the way I taught catching uh, 20 years ago when I started here is completely different than, than when I started. So I, I'm still relearning things. I'm learning um, different ways to say things when I talk to players and, and when I'm around them, whether it's teaching them or trying to help them. And then it helps me understand what they're trying to get across to me also. Right. So um, the willingness to learn as a coach is huge. And I think you, have, you, you can't be afraid to, um, to ask for help. And you can't be afraid to use whether you're a coach or a player, I think it's important that you use every resource that's around you. Whether it's a coach, maybe it's a former player, maybe it's a teammate, but to use every re resource that's around you. Yeah, I mean, first of all, that's that might be the best compliment I've ever received. So I, I thank you for your kind words uh, to to a really high degree. And then, yeah, I mean, to your point, I think we've all seen the guys that can hop on the field and maybe they took all winter break off and then they come back in the spring and they're still hitting doubles or throwing 95. But that passion piece is something that you really can't fake. You can't get your way around it. And to see a bunch of guys reach really high levels, whether it's coaching or playing or whatever side of the game you're on, I think you hit the nail on the head saying if you don't, if you don't love it, you're not going to be able to make it. And that, that love for the game is something that translates to the kids we coach and then that translates to your teammates if you're that guy on the team with the serious passion for it. So with all these guys that we're bringing up, passion of the game involved too, there's one more guy I want to give a shout out to here before we finish up, and that's Glenn Gardner. So, I mean, Beef is like the consummate New Jersey Rutgers baseball guy. So what, what type of impact did he have on you, knowing him throughout your career? And then what, a couple words about Beef. Well, I, I, I watch Beef play um, as a player. He, he's probably one of the most underrated coaches, in not only in New Jersey, but in the country. And, and the reason for that is he's a very humble man. Yep. And uh, he never looked to take credit he always looked to help players, and he had a very uh, calming influence. Baseball is a game of failure, especially hitting. I mean, 250 now is a, is a really good hitter in the big leagues. So that means you fail more than seven times uh, out of ten. And beef was that calming influence to the hitters. Um, I spent only one fall uh, with, with him over at Rutgers, and then I ended up moving on, and he, he kind of took over. Um, 
but his his knowledge for hitting is second to none. Um, he did a great. He, he's always done a great job of of working with hitters and um, and finding their strengths. And he was an honest guy. He wasn't afraid to tell you like that was a bad swing or that was a bad round or that. Was, but but he always found a way to say it in a way that made you want to come back tomorrow and try again or yeah. work at it again. Um, and he, he's he's been missed. Uh, you know, I miss seeing him. He was a great evaluator in his own mind because he knew what a, what good hitters look like. He was an unbelievable hitter, um, and he was me and him are almost the same age. Um, he played. Uh, he signed professionally before I started coaching at Rutgers, but he would come back in the winter time right. when I was there, and that's how I got a chance to know him. And he was always a, a kind-hearted guy who always had time for everyone and that's what makes a good coach you need to have time for for the guys that you're working with and every player i think would would admit that was around him they trusted him yeah they trusted him and and he was always that calming influence yeah i think i've heard stories about him as a player where it just an undying work ethic where all he wanted to do was get after it and then you know unfortunately his career gets cut short and then that same passion that we've been talking about kind of leads him into as you're saying, having time for everybody, being the first guy in the cage throwing BP, being the last guy out after practice, and just, you know, the kind of guy you want to be around, too. So talking about the culture and the passion and everything, Beef comes to mind as that Rutgers guy, too. Couldn't uh, yeah. couldn't be remiss bringing him up. I mean, Co- Coach Hill, was, his culture was unbelievable. For and sure. He, he was a teaching culture, and guys that were around him, whether, you know, whether it was Joe Letirio or Tommy Baxter, um, you know, I got a chance to spend a lot of time around Tommy Baxter, who did it a complete opposite way of, of Glenn Gardner. He, Tommy was a little louder. He was, he had a ton of energy and he was kind of a jokester, but his, 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 um, what he was trying to get across was good knowledge. And right. he had great knowledge. And I know he's worked with you in the past yep. and you've been around him. And Tommy was a very smart baseball man. He just, he just had a different way of bringing it across to people. Right. Um, and he was a very good evaluator. And that's the one big thing that I would encourage the young coaches is to learn to evaluate. You know, we, some, some, some players and some coaches are using this analytics and this data as a crutch. They're letting that tell you if the guy's a good player. Right. And I think it's important for the young coaches to be able to see what a good player looks like and to know what a good player looks like and, and not rely on, oh, his spin rate or his velocity or whatever it was, I started scouting. I remember my first recruiting trip, I went out with Coach Hill. I had no radar gun, and I had a stopwatch, stopwatch, but barely knew how to use it, <laughs> when to start it, when to stop it. We were watching the game. Yeah. And I think sometimes we forget as coaches, sometimes players, when they're not playing, they don't watch the game enough. And you can learn an awful lot by watching. Yeah. We always want to play. Don't get me wrong. If right. I could still play now, I'd still be out there. But there's a lot to be learned by watching sometimes. Sitting back and, and watching a lesson or watching a game, whether it's on TV or, or real life, um, it's important that we get that to be able to see it. Right. And I think that's the important part of having all these different perspectives, like you're touching on with the differences between Coach Hill and Beef and Coach Baxter is – Sometimes if we're trying to develop a kid, 
the way I talk to him compared to the way his hitting coach talks to him compared to the way his high school coach talks to him is going to be different. But that combination is what's really important. We put all those perspectives together. I'll say it all the time that, you know, going through three different pitching coaches in my college career, the lucky part for me now is I get to take ideas from these three awesome minds and give them to the guys that I work with now. So having all, having, understanding the value and the combination of those perspectives, whether it's from a development standpoint or you go to watch a game as an evaluator and this guy might see something different than you, than the next guy does, but then we can put all those pieces together and get a real feel for what this kid's capable of. Yeah, and, and I think it gets back a little bit, Eric, to the growth mindset. Yep. The players that come in here, in order for this place to work for them, whether it's a lesson with you or a lesson with Joe or Hondo or playing on our team, if they don't have that growth mindset, if they don't have the aptitude or willing to, to learn or change or be challenged, it's not really going to work for them. Eventually, it's going to catch up. Their talent is going to catch up. So it's important that they understand that. You know, we, tr- we, we try to develop um, self-evaluators, guys who have an idea, hey, what, what am I good at and what do I need to work on? Everybody likes to work on the things they're good at. Right. And I, you know, I, I remember that when I first opened this place. We, I used to say to the kids, you're going to come in here and work. This is going to be hard because you're going to work on some things you don't want to work on or you don't, you're not real good at. Yeah. Yeah, and I think part of the part of the passion and all those, you know, positive things we've been talking about is coachability. Like if you if you're really interested in the game, you're not just going to go out there and try to hit pull side doubles if that's what you're really good at. You're going to come in here and be willing to understand what the coaches are saying to you and appreciate the value in we're trying to make you better at everything across the board, not just get really good at one thing as a baseball player. Coachability, aptitude, um th- those would be a list of uh, you know, for not only for the Rockies, but separators. Right. I'm going to pick a team and everything's equal. I'm going to take the smarter kid. I'm going to take the more coachable kid. I'm going to take the harder worker. I'm going to take the kid with maybe bigger size or more athleticism. Uh, you know, there's a lot of separators out there. And we hope that some of these kids can develop separators here. Right. Yeah. And that's that's a point that I'll always come back to that sticks in my mind from when I was playing. Two things I'll even tell kids today is I remember you saying at practices when I was in high school, if you had a line drive back to the pitcher, you might as well give the guys watching you your best 90 down the line. That's something that, you know, I saw Brandon Downs doing a ton when I was growing up in high school. And then Coach Blevins and Coach Lillis would always say, if you hit a pop up, take your aggression out on how fast you can get home to second, like your 60 time. So that that coachability and just kind of getting a little bit of a slant on that full picture and understanding how we can still benefit ourselves even when we get punched in the face or when we got to work on something we might we might not be the best at yet it's something that can be really valuable i think yeah no doubt no doubt about it and and we all need help in that that's that's where the coach comes in and you know hopefully with our culture here they can carry that to their high school or carry that wherever they're going and and maybe end up developing a culture at that high school too right or that team that they're playing on yeah and I mean I think it it starts with one guy and then it can it can have that trickle out effect where one guy leads the two and then the dominoes fall and it becomes a it becomes a mass thing so I mean that's that's just like you've done coach where you jump out of this you know playing career into a coaching career you hop on with the Rockies you start this place up here you got the teamwork unlimited foundation that's done awesome things so 
we're really thankful. I'm really thankful for everything you've been able to, to, uh, to provide to our baseball community. And I can't thank you enough for hopping on with me and taking some time out of your day. I, I'm, I'm so happy to be here. And, and we got to do a podcast with you. We're going to switch roles one day. And, and Let me know. Because Eric Reardon's got a great story. And, and it's a story that I, hopefully the players at the warehouse understand too. But thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Yeah, my pleasure, Coach. And, yeah, whenever we can work that out, I'd love to switch sides of the table here and get that going. So thank you again and really appreciate your time. Thank you. For the Green Grass and White Bases podcast, for Coach Mike Garlotti, I'm your host, Eric Reardon. We're signing off. Three strikes, you're out at the old